I was thinking about Jose Caballero the other day, and he's such a little little pest. I think I've called him a little pest in the box, on the base path, wherever. He's causing slight ruckuses against other teams, specifically with the Nationals last week, but I think I think the word I really want to use to describe him that we don't use enough in modern society is uh, is rapscallion. I think Jose Caballero is a rapscallion. I want to bring that word back. That's that's an elite, elite diss. And I feel like it will, it hasn't been used in a, a century, like maybe early baseball as the last time it's been used in a baseball context. But rapscallion, S to your word, I think. I've, I think it's something you don't hear every day. And everything's got to come back in style, right? So... I'm calling Jose Caballero a rapscallion. I'm officially going to petition for that word just to just to be brought back in modern society. I don't know who to petition for this. Maybe just uh, the, like the government. I could write a letter to Joe Biden, maybe, or uh, everyone listening. Let's just let's just start using rapscallion again. This is officially the number one rapscallion advocate podcast on the internet. I'm I'm. Not afraid to take that stance, alright? Not afraid. Anyways, welcome back to the Chaos Ball Podcast, everyone. Welcome back. It's been a couple weeks. Had a week hiatus there. Life happens. I don't have... I I have tight windows to record for reasons I don't need to tell you. Uh, But didn't didn't record one last weekend. And then the managers go out and have a, a week out of hell. So... And I feel like I was feeling more optimistic going into that Sunday when I would have recorded. And then they, you know what they do. You know what the Mariners like to do. I am here today to fix them via trade. I will fix the team. Uh, and if they weren't absolute cowards, <clears throat> John Stanton, if you weren't an absolute coward, you'd hire me to fix the team instead of this Jerry DePoto fella. But um, what... Like, what? what's going on? I feel like the season's reached a low point. I feel like the house is burning. I feel like they've lost the plot completely. And uh, Domingo Harmon threw a perfect game the other day, just kind of rubbing salt in the wound. Like, Mariners fans were potentially at our lowest point that day. And then uh, it's not only that Felix Hernandez and his streak of being the last one to throw a perfect game is now over, which... You know, sad about it, but it's crazy that it held on for more than a decade when there were like five perfect games thrown in like three years in that span, like from 2010 to 2012 or something like that. Uh, Pretty crazy it held on for that long. It was one of the longer streaks of no perfect games in baseball. And then it's broken again on a night that Mariners fans were already feeling terrible that week. Uh, it's the Yankees, first of all. No one likes the Yankees. But even even then, you can appreciate a perfect game. But then it's also, it's on Wednesday night in Oakland. Especially in 2023, Oakland Athletics. Just, like, the worst place to throw a perfect game. Like, Domingo Herman, they weren't even in New York for it to be cool. Uh, he did it against the A's, which, listen, their offense hasn't been the worst in the league, but they are actively trying to lose baseball games. So it's not like it makes it any less impressive. But then when you factor in that it's Domingo Herman that is throwing this perfect game. And I think a lot of people in baseball, and me personally, are dubbing it a rather imperfect 
game. Uh, it's it's a perfect game, but it might be the most imperfect, most pedestrian, most oh yeah that happened perfect game ever. Like when you bring this up, like Yankees fans, cool. Uh, if you're a Yankees fan and you're happy about it, like fine, I'm not gonna rain on your parade. Be happy about your team throwing a perfect game. Like it's pretty cool. And and I think I'm happy for Kyle Higashioka. He's now caught a no hitter and a perfect game. That's pretty sweet. Shout out to him. But I'm I will not ever celebrate Domingo Herman. Um, if if you don't know by now, the entire baseball community was actively rooting against this perfect game as it was happening, which I've never seen before. I've never seen the entire internet, uh, the baseball internet community come together quite like it did Wednesday night to root actively against this perfect game because Domingo Herman is an absolute garbage person. Uh, I know it was, it was years ago, a few years ago, that he got suspended for 82 games, or 81, 82, probably 81 half half the game but uh, half the season but got suspended half the year for uh domestic violence he was never actually charged because his wife didn't bring the charges to uh court or anything but it was well documented that it was after a after a team like event he was very drunk and uh was physically assaulting her and she had to hide in a room and all that i'm not going to go over the details of that if you want to learn you can go learn yourself but essentially uh, an MLB rep was alerted to the situation and they took it in their own hands to suspend him for half a season that was not very long ago and then even like piling on this year he got suspended 10 games for sticky stuff and that was like his second or third time he was involved in sticky stuff drama this year uh he's generally just kind of seems like a, a bad shitty dude so tough to root for tough to root for but if you're a Yankees fan you're happy your team threw a perfect game Awesome. Your team threw a perfect game. And again, I'll celebrate Kyle Higashioka. I will not celebrate Domingo Herman. And it's sad. It's it it came on the night that the Mariners lose again to the Washington Nationals at home, drop the series to two out of three games. And and then we all sit up and watch um the Yankees beat the A's and Domingo Herman breaks the the streak of Felix Hernandez's perfect game. Felix Hernandez, still my, still my king. Still, I was at that perfect game. We'll, uh, we'll never ever forget that, and it will never leave my mind. And also, it was just more impressive. It was a more impressive perfect game. It was one zero. Part of it, like it was in Oakland on Wednesday night, so there are a lot of Yankees fans there. Probably the same amount of Yankees fans as Oakland fans. But it was also a blowout. It wasn't even close. It was, it was like ten to zero. Like, come on, that's no fun. No fun at all. Nobody had any fun, and nobody's having any fun celebrating it besides Yankees fans and maybe Domingo Herman himself. Just really unfortunate that that had to happen, and he's now etched in baseball history in, in perfect games. It's pretty crazy, uh, the history of perfect games, but I won't dwell on it too much. That is the news around the league because this is a very Mariners. This is a Mariners podcast. This is a Mariners-heavy episode and boy, I think rock bottom was reached last week in Mariners baseball. Oh, and also the I'm recording this during the Rays Mariners game on Sunday. It's the bottom of the fifth. It's six to five Rays right now. We'll see if our Mariners can turn this around and somehow get a series win against the Rays. And I'll go into more uh, about Friday's game later in the episode. But maybe I'll I'll, up, I'll update you live 
even though this is coming out after this game has happened. So I'll, I'll react live to what happens, because I'd like them to win this game. That'd be sweet. That'd be cool if they could win this one. But let's just talk about it. We're about halfway through the season. Obviously, the Mariners have been a disappointment. It's just it's felt a little numb up to this point. The the season it's, it's been strange, but I I think the low I think hopefully it was rock bottom last week when they lost to the Nationals. I think it was the worst feelings we've had all year. I sensed it from the fan base, from the players, even from myself. You can kind of tell like the players are obviously frustrated. At least I guess they had an off day the next day to regroup, and then they get savaged by the Rays on Friday. And they come back with a win on Saturday, and then they're at least fighting today. It's just I, the low point was definitely losing two of three to the Nationals after uh, going to Baltimore and dropping two of three there after a really promising first game. Uh, really unfortunate that that had to happen. And then you beat the Nationals in game one of, of the series, Monday through Wednesday, and then you lose 7-4 and 4-1, and you just can't really get much going against Nationals pitching on Wednesday. Uh, like how <laughs> the the offense continues to baffle me of how incompetent they seem, but that uh, I hope that's the low point. It the low point going into that it felt pretty low. I mean, you you lose two of three to the Yankees before the Orioles, and they were close games, and then you beat the Yankees on Thursday, ten to two. You're feeling great. Then you beat the Orioles 13-1. to It's like, oh, wow, the offense has come alive. And then you lose two to the Orioles and then drop a series of home to the Nationals. Like, it's it's like they're toying with us. It's like, hi, look, we can score runs when we play really well. Look at how many runs we can score when we're playing up to somewhat up to expectations. And then, oh, next game, oh, look at what we can't do is score runs against uh, maybe the worst pitching staff in the league and the Nationals. Just they're just toying with us. They're the Mariners are just torturing us, and this is not out of the ordinary. I mean, I'm a Mariners fan who was not really alive or sentient to see any of their successes in the early 2000s, in the 90s at all, and I've lived through nothingness for so long now, and uh, so I'm not super surprised they're kind of just torturing the fan base a little bit this year, and it's not it's not really out of the the realm of possibility that. There's more rock bottom to come with this season. I hope not. I'm optimistic that maybe there isn't. It just felt numb this year, weirdly. Just been very strange. Oh, I'm also, I'm not doing a B-Ref Player of the Week this week because I just have a lot of stuff to talk about in terms of trade deadline and Mariners, but I'll continue talking about the Mariners for a while. I've thought a lot about this team the past couple of weeks. It just, it feels like they've been in the same kind of purgatory all year where they can't they can't really get on any kind of streak like I I really wish they would just win more baseball games but they simply uh just refuse to do so like they haven't been good enough consistently to go on a long winning streak but they haven't been bad enough to go on a long bad streak so they've been in this in the in flux all season. They've been in this weird purgatory of like within three games of five hundred, either below or above. They've been just barely above. They've been just barely below the entire year, which just translates to being a mediocre baseball team. Which is 
kind of what the floor of this team was the past two years. If you look into it, like the floor of this team is kind of mediocre. I mean, they've outplayed their projections and Pythagorean win loss the past two years. And this year, the projections liked them to win 83-ish games to 84, maybe. That was just the computers. And they've constantly outplayed the computers the past couple of years, and, and maybe it's catching up on them this year. It's just it's strange, because they've hovered around 500 all year, and yet the vibes of the fan base and the team all seem like they're 10 games under 500 and completely out of the playoffs, and they're just not. That's not the case. It's more because of the expectations that were set before the season uh, by the season last year by a lot of fans who see playoff success and a similar-ish team to last year, and it can it can sour very quick, as we're seeing. Expectations can, can ruin a season, uh, and this team is better than this. I think that's also where the frustrations are coming from. This team is definitely better than this. There's just been underperforming players top down in the lineup and but that's also baseball that's also Mariners baseball specifically I mean there's more players to count like I can't count them on my hand of players who they haven't necessarily been hyped to come to the Mariners like through trades or free agency mainly trades (laughs) where you get a player that's performed well elsewhere and you put them on the Mariners you plop them right down in the Mariners lineup and he underperforms. Uh, that's a that's a tale as old as time. That just happens all the time. Whether it's the ballpark, playing in Seattle, you have to travel on average more than most teams. Probably just being kind of remote and sequestered up in the Northwest where there's no other teams. I don't know what it is. It's the vibes. It's just that's what happens with with Mariners players sometimes. Uh, but this year it it felt like that wasn't going to happen, and then it, it's been happening. It's tough because it's been happening with Julio. He's been having kind of a sophomore slump of, of sorts. Still been a great player. Still obviously going to be a great, awesome player. I'm not worried about Julio. It's just when you don't improve the team as much around him and you're kind of banking on him being like a 6-7 to seven win player in his second year to, you know, float the offense through the season. I just, that's that's... It's high expectations. I mean, there's been so many examples of rookies who've come out of the gate, lit the world on fire, and then cooled off a little bit, and then found it again. Like, like Vlad Guerrero Jr. took two years to find it, and then has kind of fallen off since then. Judge and, like, Pete Alonzo, crazy rookie seasons. And up until last year, Judge hadn't really replicated that. And then last year, obviously, he had a Barry Bonds type year. Like Michael Harris this year, too. Both rookie of the years from last year. Even Spencer Strider, to a degree, it's hasn't been as, like, they've hyped coming into the year and haven't been as good, and I think that's just part of what happens. I think guys figure you out, and then you got to adjust, and I think Julio's very okay. He's fine right now. He's fine. I'm not worried about him. It's just, uh, it's just tough. It's just tough. I don't know. Before the season, I do I do believe that I said they didn't improve enough in the offseason, but They've still underperformed even like the modest projections right now. And all the projections were kind of similar. Like they projected the team to be in the 80s, but not the high 80s. But even even then they've underperformed. Like a lot of the players have underperformed their projections this year. Uh, I thought 
there was a lot to be desired about how the current team was structured, but I didn't expect them to be quite this stinky. Uh, the offense, at least, I expected to be a little better, and I didn't really expect this from the pitching staff. Obviously, Robbie Ray's hurt. I didn't expect Bryce Miller and Brian Wu to come up and anchor the back of the rotation as rookies like they have this year so well. That was unexpected, but it's kind of balanced out to being a, a little below average where I thought this team was going to be, obviously. At the end of the day, even if you've done everything right, like in the front office, team building, whatever, even if you've done everything right or most things right, the production on the field still needs to be there. Like your entire process can be correct, and I'm not saying theirs was, but even with that, you still got to have wins. You got to put, you got to put dubs in the column. Like I always got to remind myself and every fan I interact with sometimes that like winning, winning fixes everything, literally everything in all sports. Nothing else matters if you're winning baseball games. Just do that. Like there's nothing else matters. Like there could be turmoil. There could be underperforming. All of this, all of the stats of all of these players could be the same and if they're five games above 500, it doesn't matter right now because they're winning baseball games. It's just the fact that they're not, and the way that they're losing, they're just they're just kind of playing losing baseball. Like the vibes are just of a mediocre to bad baseball team right now, just like careless base running errors, errors on the defensive end that shouldn't be happening if you have a coach like Perry Hill and and focus. I guess I don't know underperforming at the at the dish non-competitive at bats, just really, really tough stuff for a team that was playing winning baseball over their projections last year and even two years ago. But this team on paper might be better than last year's team, probably better on paper than the last two years, but this year's team just doesn't really want to win baseball games like the last two years. (laughs) Like, when they're frustratingly in a tie game late, in the late innings, it just feels like they're going to lose this year, when usually, the past two years, I had the confidence that, like, you know what, they're probably just going to pull something out of their ass and win this game. You know? It just doesn't feel like that this year, because I don't think we can sit here and pretend that the play on the field is that different this year from the last couple of years and I'm not talking about the results, but like the situations they're finding themselves in are very similar to the last few years. They're just losing more of those games that they would have won the past couple of years, and the vibes are awful right now. Like the Rays game on Friday, the 15-4 to loss. Honestly, a great example of what I'm talking about. This feels like a Mariners game right out of the book of Mariners' victories from the past couple of years because you have a hot start and then you cool off. You have a hot start and then you cool off and it's all of a sudden it's 4-4 four to four in the sixth inning. And it's 4-4 four to four in the sixth inning. You had some good offense early. You look at it right there. So they take the lead, they give it up. In classic Mariners fashion. And it's a close game going into the late innings. Then uh, Scott correctly correctly brings in Andres Munoz to face the top of their lineup in the 7th. He pitches a clean 7th inning. A very clean 7th inning. So we go to the bottom of the 7th. 
And this is the point in the game. Stop the tape. Cut it right here. This is the crucial point in the game where last season, I feel like somehow, even if the Rays were the best team in baseball last year, somehow they find a way to win this one and we go home happy. This season, at that crucial point in the game, I had little to no hopes that that would happen. I sat there in front of my TV and knew that the last two and a half innings would likely end in pain. I didn't know what would happen, obviously, but that's exactly what happened. I didn't know to the extent, but the Rays then um, put up 11 runs and win 15 to four. I mean, they put up 15 unanswered after the Mariners jump out to an early lead in the second 4-0. That is the crucial the crucial point in the game was the seventh inning where no one scored any runs and then you come out in the top of the eighth and give up eight runs and it's obviously over like that I don't think that happens last year it's those crucial points this year that they're losing it's the crucial points in the game where they stick it out give it to the bullpen somehow pull some random ass chaotic run or two runs out of themselves late in the game, stick it to the bullpen. The bullpen gives you a little scare, gives you, gets your blood pumping, saves the game. You win by one or two, and that's it. And that's it. And that's usually what happened last year, and it's just not. That's not happening this year. Oh, Tom Murphy just hit a home run in the bottom of the sixth. It's six to six now. The offense is alive. Hold on, hold on. I got to do a tweet live. Also, this this tweet thing. What is Elon up to? Like, what is he? What's he doing? Why is he limiting the amount of tweets I can see on the the website where I go to look at tweets? It's like, hey, yo, you wanna you wanna lose you wanna use uh, my website that I own where you have to to view things and you can post things and view what other people post. No, sorry, you can't really do that much anymore. I don't want you to use my app. Just ridiculous, ridiculous. I got to tweet a meme and I refuse to to pause the podcast for it he's so back with the tom murphy face tweet little peek inside the curtain oh i haven't reached my rate limit today either that's that's a change tom murphy's so jacked i i think i talked about this but god i saw him in san diego in a very tight athletic shirt and god damn he's huge like he is massive and he's he's hitting way better now he started off the year terrible I wasn't super worried because he was just coming back from injury. And look, look, he's hitting better. He's he's had a great, great week of baseball. So, okay, back into the Mariners. It's now tied, but back into it. I think I'm I'm done talking about how they lose those games. I mean, they lose the one earned games for some reason now. But a lot of people have now pointing to firing Scott Service and yada yada yada. I'm not like in favor of doing either. I have a very lukewarm take on the matter. I think sometimes firing and hiring a new manager could do a lot. I think in 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 the case of a lot of managers like Scott Service, I don't think it'd do much. I think the manager in this case is a mere extension of the front office and, and firing them won't change a whole lot. Maybe vibes in the clubhouse. I don't know. I think managers in baseball especially are mainly shields for the front office and I I don't think firing them means much. I think it's quite performative at times to just fire a manager, especially like what services said in the press conferences. He's like, well, you know, he's not perfect. He knows he's not perfect. And he's obviously not perfect. No manager is perfect. But at a certain point, it's not necessarily his fault 
that these guys are not playing well. Because uh, it, it's so hard to quantify what a manager actually does. It's very hard to quantify a manager's value to a team. Especially when most of them, like Scott, like I said, are, are just following the philosophy that's set out by like the other coaches and, and the manager and the front office all come together. And I think they set out a strategy, especially with an organization like the Mariners that's clearly more analytical forward. The manager and a lot of the coaching staff was brought in at a similar time as the GM, Scott and Jerry, the same time. And, and the manager is more just like a figurehead of the entire organization. He's kind of like the like the uh, like like the White House press secretary like they can kind of just get berated by the media and they're just a meat shield for the for the whole presidential like cabinet and shit like that. I don't know. I just don't think managers matter that much in baseball, but it's also I don't know how to quantify how they matter. I I think it's a very case by case basis. Uh, it I mean uh, it's a huge part of their job to like keep the team together and cohesive and focused and it's just so difficult to get the whole story of how the team feels about him or how they're doing in that job of keeping the team focused and stuff like without being in the locker room every day the only people who can really evaluate the intangibles of what their manager is doing are the players and maybe the coaching staff even the front office is probably hard because they're not in the locker room like there's only a certain amount of people in the world that can that can tell you how good of a manager is doing in the locker room or not. And they're not going to tell us. So I, I just, sometimes the relationship spoils and you got to fire a guy just to be performative. And, and maybe we're at that point with service. I, I just don't think he'd change that much. And I think Devoto would find it very difficult to do this because they're homies and they probably share like a very similar mindset for the organization and for the game of baseball. I don't know. My point is just that a lot of people, We'll just make a point and and say fire him and make it seem like firing the manager is some cure all, and hiring a new manager will will turn it around. I I just uh, I don't know I don't know about this specific situation. I believe in a manager and a culture fit, and a team culture fit. I think that is of the utmost importance. I think agreeing with the front office's strategy is important too. Just you know, so they're not butting heads and they're obviously going to hire someone they think will push out the strategy they've set forward for the team and give their own input and stuff. But I think like culture fit and a manager matters a lot more than anything else. It's very hard to quantify that too. And I think that should probably factor into the hiring though. Like a good example is off the top of my brain recently is Gabe Kapler. He seems like a fantastic culture fit for the Giants. For not only for the organization, but for the players they currently had on the team when they hired him. I think it was a great fit. And he just wasn't for the Phillies. For whatever reason, he was not a good culture fit for the fan base, for the front office, for those players. He just wasn't. And I think firing him was clearly did some good. And the Giants hiring him did good for their culture fit. I just think just firing a manager can maybe do some good things in the short term for morale. And I guess satisfy the fans, very briefly. But it's, if it's the same front office and the same strategies that's responsible for hiring the next head coach, a.k.a. the same culture, I don't know how much that really changes things. I really don't. I it Maybe maybe his time's up. I like Scott Service. Again, he's not a perfect manager, but I've harped on this a lot. The grass is always greener. 
And it'll be the same front office, likely, that will hire the new manager. And, you know, maybe it'll be another talking head. Maybe they'll, maybe they'd get spicy and hire someone who will butt heads with them, but the players love them. You know, I don't know. It's just, it's hard for my couch to say that Scott doesn't have the troops rallied correctly because what if they all really love him and what if the the vibes are fine in the clubhouse I've heard they're not great but that's just because they're not performing well on the field like how much does that really fall on Scott I don't know I don't know I'm they fire him they fire him I just generally don't think managers do that much I mean he's Scott's probably openly criticized for his most for his bullpen management but every manager like, if you get out of your own fan base and look at what every other fan base is saying, they're also actively criticizing their manager constantly. It doesn't matter. Even the Rays, like Kevin Cash, even like Snitker on the Braves, even these best teams in the league, I see fans complaining about the shit they do all the time. You're never going to get a manager you like 100%. You're never going to agree with all of their decisions. Scott definitely has made some very questionable decisions in terms of bullpen management, but I don't think that's just him. I think that's the whole staff and the front office pulling the strings with Scott's, you know, Scott has some say, but I'm sure he's just, that's just part of how they do things is, is they probably rely heavily on the analytics and he's going by the book. And I don't like that a hundred percent, but it's just not totally on him. It really isn't. And maybe he'll get fired if they keep playing this bad. And I don't know how much it's going to change, but we'll see. We'll see. It's an interesting scenario because him and Depoto were hired together because they liked each other, and he's one of the longer tenured managers in the league. I feel like I don't have the stats in front of me, but he's got to be. I mean, he's been with the team what seven years now, so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. But now let's get into some trade talk, some trade deadline talk. That was my like twenty-five minute rant of how I feel about the Mariners right now. Uh, but let's get into some trade talks because, you know, they're not out of the playoffs. Like I, I, they're really not right now. Your Seattle Mariners and they are playing right now. They're 39 42 in a tie game right now. So it could be 40 and 42 if they win this game today. Right now, as we speak, they're nine and a half back of the division. I don't think the division is going to happen. The Rangers look too good. The Astros look still comfortably, at least, better than the Angels and the Mariners. Even with the Angels right on the Astros' tail, I still believe in the Astros a little bit more than the Angels, even though Shohei Otani is by far the best player in baseball. I don't even think it's close. And the Mariners, I just I just don't see it. I don't think, I don't know. They could make the leap. Nine and a half back in July is a lot. It is a lot. Crazier things have happened, though. It's the wild card. It's this third wild card spot that they, I mean, the wild card in general, they're only five and a half back. And that's of both wild card spots. The top is with the Orioles right now, but the Astros and the Yankees are tied for the second and third. Then you got Toronto's one and a half back. The Angels are two and a half. Boston's three and a half. Cleveland is five. And the Mariners are five and a half back right now. That's not very far back. I mean, you don't need a 13, 14, 15 game win streak to overcome that deficit come September. It's the start of July. There's plenty of time to do that. 
The problem is every one of those other teams is aggressively going to try to make the playoffs. Because after the Mariners, you got Detroit, White Sox, <laughs> Oakland, Royals. Like those teams, I think they're mostly sellers at the deadline and aren't going for it. I think you can cut it off at Seattle right now in terms of the teams who are going to contend. Seattle's going to try. Cleveland's going to try to win that division over the Twins. Red Sox, I don't know what the Red Sox are going to do because they could theoretically make the playoffs, but they're so far back in their own division. Like, I don't know. Could just be an all-AL East wildcard game. My point is, they're not that far back in the wildcard. They're really not. Uh, I really, like, now's the perfect time to start talking trades, obviously. Start of July. And now this trade talks are ramping up. There's been, a, like, a couple random ones. Like, the Angels made two kind of under the radar depth moves, which we're fine. But we're now trying to get into the thick of, like, who's going to be sellers, who's going to be buyers. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. We're getting more clear of a picture of who are the best players at the deadline are going to be, who are the main sellers, who are the buyers. Oh, and the Rangers traded for a role as Chapman. I had that on my sheet today for this podcast to say... Because I'm not really going to talk about pitching availability. Like, the Mariners could go out and get a, a depth uh, rotational arm. Maybe a throw-in in a bigger trade they do. But I'm not going to talk about the team. Like, that, like they're not, they're not going to be aggressive buyers on pitching, obviously. But I was going to say, Scott Barlow and Aroldis Chapman of the Royals will probably move. And I thought they would both just go to the Rangers. But they just got Chapman, which is a big dub for the Rangers. But that being said, I have a spiel about why I think. I mean, the the before I get into the trade talks, like the the three team wild card change that MLB made has completely changed the deadline and changed it significantly. There are so many teams that you could say are quote like contending for the playoffs because you added an extra wild card spot and you're creating a lot of potential buyers at the deadline than sellers. And going forward. I don't think there are going to be these huge deals or huge hauls for these amazing guys. Like Soto's kind of an outlier, but I think we'll be seeing more mutual swaps of strength between contending teams rather than just picking the good players off the bad teams. I do think there will still be plenty of that, again, like we saw with Chapman and the Royals. And I still think plenty of that will happen, but I, I think it will happen less because there's just more contending teams and I, so I think like swaps of strength between contenders will be in. It'll be in. That'll be the move. Because there's just more teams trying to win right now, obviously, than if there were just two wildcard spots. And it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. I mean, if I look at the standings, I can't really pinpoint that many teams that are not trying to win. I mean, the White Sox, God bless them. They are trying to win. They're not good, but they are trying. The Tigers, mm, Kind of in the middle ground. I don't. I think they're still in a rebuild. Happy to keep rebuilding. Royals, obviously not. Still rebuilding. Thought they'd be better than this. So I'll give you like two right now in the AL that aren't trying to win. And then the Oakland A's, toss them in. That's three. Three in the entire American League who are not really trying to win. Otherwise, every other team is trying to make the playoffs. All the AL East teams are all better than the AL Central teams. They're trying to make it. Minnesota and Cleveland are trying to win that division with the White Sox again. God bless them. They're trying. Uh, <laughs> the Rangers. And maybe come the deadline, the White Sox will be completely not trying and blow it up. Uh, the Rangers, trying. Astros, trying. Angels, Mariners, trying. 
you go to the National League. The the Mets, they're trying. They're not succeeding too hot, but they're trying to win. Nationals, no. That's one from the National League. The Rockies, I'm putting the Rockies on their own category. I don't really ever know what the Rockies are doing. They're wildly confusing. I just have no clue what they're ever up to. And then you have the NL, all the other NL West teams are contending and NL East teams are trying to contend. NL Central, the Reds, I guess, are trying to contend now. They're just happy being in first place. They're not exactly going to go for it, I don't think, at the deadline. But they have a crazy cool young team that's in first. Like the Brewers are trying to win. The Cardinals are in last place and they're trying to win. The Cubs are trying to win. The Pirates probably not. Similar to Cincinnati where they were probably better than expected right now, but... Maybe they'll go for it minorly. I don't know. There's like like le- like five or less teams that are really actively not trying to make the playoffs. I think it's great for baseball, honestly. So the Mariners, they're close enough. And I don't think they push all the chips in for this year and completely like mortgage the future. Like I don't think they'll move Harry Ford. They could. I don't think they will. Harry Ford, Cole Young... Those type of guys, like Gabriel Gonzalez, I don't know if they move them. There's potential for moving Hancock or I don't even know. I just don't think at the deadline now you're going to get as much value for those low-end prospects as you might have in the past. I think teams are looking for more double-A and up, close-ish to MLB-ready guys right now. I think that's what a lot of teams are looking for. I think that's what the Mariners should also be looking for if they're getting any prospects back for any any trades. So the Mariners standing at the deadline, I don't know exactly what they're going to do. Clearly, they, they should try to go for it. You have a pitching staff that is ready to win. You have a pitching staff that is one of the best in the league and will carry you in the playoffs if you give them the opportunity. They've been awesome. They are awesome. That's your biggest strength. you got to address the offense. You came into the year with Cooper Hummel and Tommy Ostella at the DH spot, and spoiler alert, that didn't work out. Spoiler alert, AJ Pollock signing, like many, including myself, said it was like, nah, it's been worse than that. He's been terrible. Thank God Jerry Kelnick's been good. So AJ Pollock hasn't had to play that much, thankfully. Colton Wong, nobody really saw this coming. He's been hitting the ball a little bit harder recently, but, oh, God, it's ugly. And Jose Caballero, I like Jose Caballero. I'd rather him not be the starting second baseman. I think he's a great utility man for the future. I don't I don't think he's, I don't think he's a starting second baseman on a contending team. And that's, I like the guy. A lot of teams have relief pitching. The Mariners probably won't go for that. One, they don't need to pay for relief pitching. They can just pick up. A Trevor Gott or Justin Topa and turn them into a good reliever. They don't need that. Their their pitching is great right now. It's just a tough position because the farm is kind of thin for the Mariners. The prospects down in A ball are good, but again, and you're not just gonna you're not gonna get a huge haul for them like you would in the past. That means they'll have to trade more from the big league roster. An obvious move would be to trade from their biggest strength, the pitching staff, to bolster their biggest weakness, the hitting. And I hate to drop these names on y'all, but they it might have to be done. Uh, there's obvious value in Bryce Miller and Brian Wu, and maybe they move one of them. I don't know. Maybe. I think Logan Gilbert has a tremendous amount of value. He's proven he can do it. He's proven he's good. 
He's young. He's still team controlled. I think he hits Arb next year. I think almost specifically for like the Cardinals. And uh, for him, I I hate to say it, I love Logan Gilbert, but he's a valuable trade piece right now. And I think if the Mariners can get a very good or two contributors to the offense out of Logan Gilbert and whatever else that's not the top prospects I think they got to do it like I think we've reached a time where I think George Kirby is the future and who they will end up paying and hopefully extending and Logan Gilbert I love Logan Gilbert I don't know if they're going to want to pay him long term after they're going to they're like paying Kirby would coincide at least arbitration wise would coincide with Robbie Ray and Luis Castillo's deals and then you got to think of Ryan Wu and Bryce Miller after that. And if you can just keep producing pitchers like this, it's not like Logan Gilbert is expendable, but he's a pretty valuable trade piece right now. He he is. The other two names, Paul Seawald and Teoscar Hernandez, are really intriguing because Paul has one more arbitration season and then he hits free agency and teams always want to buy relievers at the deadline. And again, that would be mortgaging one of their strengths into an offensive player. I think they could afford to lose Paul Seawald. I think they could afford it. And it's intriguing because, yeah, he's you got one more season with him arbitration-wise, and you got to figure it out. And Teo is expiring, obviously. I think the best move for them right now is moving Teoscar Hernandez. Like, move him for a more team-controlled hitter, hopefully, for a contending team that needs a, some power against lefties from uh, out of DH or right field. I think both of those guys have a lot of value as opposed to like other vets like Pollock and Wong. Those guys are DFA right now. They're, they have no value. So what teams could the Mariners go to for help in the offense? The first team I picked, we just played the Nationals. I think the Nationals have two guys. Hi, Yaimar Candelario is probably is definitely going to get dealt at the deadline. He's a hot name to bring up right now. He's been really good at the plate. He has he's an undrafted free or undrafted, Jesus. Uh, unrestricted free agent after this season. Like this is expiring. He plays he's been playing a really good third base defensively, which the Mariners don't necessarily need, but he's been swinging a great bat. Could fill the DH slash backup third base first base role that I've been screaming at them to find just for this season though. It'd be a rental. So I don't think it'd take much you could give the Nationals a prospect, maybe, for this. I wouldn't give up too much since it's, you know, again, it's, it's rental. I, I don't think the Mariners trade for him. He's just, he would help the team. Uh, another guy I think is way more intriguing, and we saw Mariners fans hopefully introduced to him for the first time in that series was Lane Thomas. Lane Thomas is really intriguing because I don't know if he fits their rebuild unless they want to extend him. Because after this season, he's got 24 and 25, 2024, 2025 as arbitration, and then he's a free agent. So this year is his first arbitration year. So he's team controlled for another two years after this. Do the Nationals keep paying him an arb and let him go? Do they extend him? Do they think he fits their rebuild? He might be slightly ahead of their schedule. Maybe. And you give him. I don't know, you get you give them Wu or Miller, and maybe they give you Lane Thomas. I I just I think the Mariners are likely going to end up losing one of their major league pitchers 
in the trade deadline this year because starting pitching is so valuable right now. They could get probably a lot more than in the past years because starting pitching is the most valuable thing in the world right now, partially because there's not like a dynamite list of guys available at this deadline pitching-wise. Like there's Blake Snell, potentially Aaron Nola, um, I don't know who else, Lucas Giolito. There's not like a whole huge amount of pitching depth at this deadline. And the Mariners have not the best pitching depth, but sometimes you got to do it to them. And Lane Thomas is good, but I don't know. You you could get a lot for these pitchers, and you dangle a little pitching prospect, a little a little Brace Miller in front of the Nationals, and go oh, Lane Thomas, and that kind of satisfies the Mariners' need. So that intrigues me. He's been hitting really well. I think that's more of a long shot because I don't know if the Nationals want to get rid of him, but I don't know. Maybe they do. What might be the most intriguing team for the deadline this year is the St. Louis Cardinals. They're terrible right now. I don't know if they'll blow it up. I doubt it. I think maybe a soft little blow up, a soft rebuild. Allegedly, the Mariners and them have been talking already because they complement each other perfectly. They're complete opposites. The Cardinals have so many good offensive players. They've underperformed a little bit too, but they still have a really good offense. Awful pitching. Awful pitching staff. This is where I think Logan Gilbert and even like a Logan Gilbert and an Emerson Hancock because they need pitching. The Cardinals have, I think, one pitcher from this rotation signed on for next year. That's it. So you do that and maybe, listen, listen, Paul Goldschmidt expires after next year. He's got $26 million on the books for the next two years, this year and next year, and then he's a free agent. He's the most intriguing name at the deadline, I think, because it's Paul Goldschmidt. I, they could move off of him because it, it clears a little bit of room for prospects. Unless they really think they can regroup with their pitching and really go for it next year with him, then maybe they hold on to him just for that year. Maybe they don't. Maybe the Mariners offer them a good good young pitcher and a pitching prospect that can address some of their needs for this season and next year, and they move off of his contract and just let it let it go. I, may, I don't know. I don't know, man. That would be awesome, though, wouldn't it? Who knows? Who knows if they'll do that? I don't know. It would be hard for them to let go. It's Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, but that'd be amazing. I mean, you could just DH Ty France, DH Paul Goldschmidt. I don't care what you do at first base. Um, the other Paul on the team that's interesting, Paul DeYoung. I think Paul DeYoung is way more doable for the Mariners. I think he's he's got two club options after this year. Let's see. Yeah, two club options after this year. So theoretically, team controlled for another three years or two years after this. He's on arbitration right now making $9 million. The club options for 12 and a half, and then 15 the next year, and I, th- I think that's worth it for what Paul DeYoung can offer you. He's still proven to be a solid hitter at the plate. Definitely help the team right now. He can play second base. He can play shortstop. He can DH. Not super expensive. I think that's a decent option. Uh, the Cardinals also have an outfielder problem. I think they'll probably move one of their outfielders just to make room for like Jordan Walker who's come up and they have a lot of other good outfielders. I don't think they'll trade Brendan Donovan, who's been playing 
second base a lot and corner outfield because he is on fire right now. They, there's He would cost an arm and a leg. Doubt they'll move Brendan Donovan. Definitely they won't move Jordan Walker. Maybe they'll move Tyler O'Neill. I don't even want Tyler O'Neill, if I'm being completely honest. Who I really want is like Lars Newpar. He is he's been just about average this year at the plate, but I think he's better than this. He can play all the outfield positions. He's team controlled. He kind of checks all the boxes. It'd be hard for him to get him, but there's a little leverage there. Like the Cardinals need pitching. The Mariners need another outfielder slash DH and some offensive help. The Cardinals kind of have to move off of one of their outfielders this year just to clear some room. I think that could be done. I don't know. I don't know. The Cardinals are really intriguing, and maybe we do see a trade. I think Paul DeYoung is intriguing. I think Paul DeYoung would be a less expensive option, and you could give him... I don't know. I don't even know what you could give him. But that's the Cardinals. That's the Cardinals. Uh, the White Sox also have a cup. They have mainly a lot of relievers and, like, uh, Giolito, who will probably get moved... Mariners won't really jump for those, probably. But I've floated the idea of Eloy Jimenez out there. I've talked about him multiple times now. He is team-controlled through 2026 with two club options in the last two years, like Paul DeYoung. I still think he's a good hitter, and only really a good hitter. A perfect DH, really. I think it could be done. Uh, I don't know if they'll do it, but I've talked about this before. I don't need to hit on Eloy more. I've talked about him quite a bit on the podcast uh, who else on the White Sox? Tim Anderson is, I don't know, I don't know what he really does for me at this point. He he has one more club option next year, and then he's a free agent. Like, could be seen as a rental for some teams. I don't know. I don't know about T.A. He's been hurt, but I don't. I just don't know if his bat is still there. It might just, maybe he just needs a change of scenery. Like, it could be just a change of scenery, and he, he recaptures more of his old self. Like, maybe that's it. He could definitely play up the middle for the Mariners and and provide good defense. I just it wouldn't be as expensive either. Like it could be just a decent swap to not completely mortgage the future of your pitching staff and try to do something now. I'm not super convinced. And then more more teams. Who else might trade? The Mets. Uh, Tommy Pham, who's been hitting pretty well for the Mets. He can play all outfield positions. He's on an expiring deal. Uh, the Mets are probably both buyers and sellers at the deadline. <laughs> They're just cluttered right now position wise Tommy Pham is also just kind of generally really bad vibes so I don't know if I really want him for that reason maybe they move off Mark Canna clear some room get a little money off the books I don't know I don't know what the Mets will do I wonder if the A's will move anyone any position player like Ramon Laureano is probably will get moved but he doesn't really do much for me offensively maybe Seth Brown he enters arbitration next year, and no matter what, that would mean paying him more than the league minimum. So maybe they just get rid of Seth Brown. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if they do anything. Before I get out of here, I do want to talk about one more team, the Reds. I've talked about them a little bit before. Their infield situation is really interesting. Maybe we could take away one of their infielders. Like I don't know, Jonathan India. Potentially, he's more in line to get paid sooner than the other ones like Spencer Steer is a rookie Matt McClain and Ellie De La Cruz rookies zero chance they move Ellie De La Cruz I doubt they even trade McClain he looks great if they really think they can contend right now and want another pitcher or like a Paul Seawald that could help them in the bullpen 
I don't know. I don't know if they move any of their young infielders since like Encarnacion Strand has come up and is playing the corner outfield now for them to maybe that doesn't work out and they really needs to be at third and Ellie needs to be at short and McLean needs to be at second and India needs to be on the Mariners. Maybe that's just how it's going to have to happen. Uh, a Brian Wu or Bryce Miller could be a very interesting prospect for them. It fits their timeline-ish. Young pitcher. They need they need good pitching. Both of them have proven so far they can hack it in this league. And maybe they move off their infielders. I wouldn't do anything if I were them. To be honest, I'd sit right, right where I am, not mess with anything. But maybe they want to move India. Who knows? India would be cool. I would like Jonathan India on the Mariners. That would be a cool trade. I like, and I don't think they'd trade Joey Votto away right now. That'd be kind of a weird thing for them to do. And that that's kind of that's the other team that like maybe maybe they just, just don't do anything. Maybe they do want to trade one of those guys. I don't know. I don't know. In the coming weeks, I think we'll even clearer see like who the biggest targets are officially. Who, what teams are thinking what. Like the insiders will tell us things, and I'm assuming we'll start to see some trades soon. But those were kind of the teams and the names that um, I did a little bit of research on. More just they came to my head, like that would make sense. Oh, another one before I go Ryan O'Hearn of the Orioles would be super interesting. He is having a fantastic year with the Orioles, he can DH, he can play first base. One more arbitration year after this year, then he's a free agent. So maybe the Orioles extend him. Maybe they mortgage him right now for a little bit of pitching. They need a little bit of pitching. Young pitching as well would be valuable to them right now. They need it. Like uh, Logan Gilbert, Brian Wu, Bryce Miller, Emerson Hancock, even and a couple and like another guy. I don't know. I, I I think some regression is coming in his stats, but he's having a fantastic year. And it could be just a thing that it seems like the Orioles are a great organization. It could just be a thing where he's on that team and that is where he's going to be at his best because it's just seems to be an organization like Aaron Hicks has gone there and kind of started hitting way better than he was on the Yankees. Like it seems like maybe they're a type of organization that just does that. And he comes to the, like what would happen is the Mariners trade for him and he comes to the Mariners and starts being terrible. That's what I could foresee happening. But Ryan O'Hearn, another really interesting name to throw out there for the Mariners. Uh, but that's it. That's it for this pod. It's going to be an interesting next few next few weeks because I still think the Mariners are going to hang around 500. And I they should try to win this year. They should try to be in the playoffs this year because there's three spots. They're only five to six games back right now. They should try to contend. And they can do that without like completely getting rid of prospects for the future. They they can do that. Will they? Who knows? I don't know what they're going to do. They got to do something, though. I think they have to do something. If they do nothing, the fans will riot and burn the stadium down. So they're going to have to try to do something to address the offensive woes. And hopefully the meat of the order, like the past couple days, they've been a lot better and producing runs like JP, Ty, Julio, uh, Kelnick, Teo. They've all been a lot better at at producing runs, and it starts with them, the offense. It starts with them producing like they should, and then we and then they can address the other issues with trades and stuff. But it does ultimately start with some of these players just playing better. But we'll see. It's going to be an interesting month, very crucial month, very interesting month. Anything could happen, really. And before I sign off here, 
Thanks for listening. Greatly appreciated if you're listening this far. The Mariners, as we speak, are in the top of the eighth against the Rays. It's seven to six now. Uh, that little rapscallion that I was talking about earlier, Jose Caballero, got a hit-by-pitch, bases-loaded RBI to take the lead in the top of the eighth. And then JP got called out on strikes to end the inning. That is Mariners baseball this year in a nutshell. Uh, but hopefully they win this game. I'll be much happier if they do. But otherwise, of course, have a great rest of your week. May your week be full of trade deadline rumors. And ultimately, and of course, go Mariners.